Welcome to Knickknack News. I'm Alex. And I'm Anthony. And my first story is food news. And this is from the uh, Gothamist, which is apparently... I've heard of it before. Uh, I think it's like a New York City newspaper or something. Oh, Or, okay. or a website. Or, sense. I don't know. Well, okay. Anyway, headline is... Immersive Krispy Kreme flagship store with glaze waterfall coming to Times Square. What? You're kidding. A glaze waterfall? A glaze waterfall? waterfall? And uh, the thing that made me sad is they didn't go into any more detail about what that involves or or like they didn't have any, they don't have pictures yet because the actual store hasn't been built. um, Anyway. The company shared this news Monday morning along with a rendering showing a large crispy cream uh, glowing on the corner of 48th and Broadway, which is apparently where this is going in. Hmm. And from the rendering, it looks obnoxious. <laughs> uh, the store will open in 2020 and will feature hot, fresh donuts 24-7, the world's largest hot light, which is apparently a crispy cream thing where they have this light that if it's on, it means the donuts are like hot and fresh. Or something. Oh. And this one's going to be on all the time because they're just constantly going to have donuts. Um, okay. It's going to have the world's largest Krispy Kreme donut box, which you can sit in. <laughs> that has seating <laughs> inside this giant box. As well as an exterior walk-up window. Okay. So you can just walk up and get a donut. Um, the shop will be 4,500 square feet, and they plan to bring their, quote, iconic donut theater experience to life. Which I, I, what is that? I don't know. Have you been to a Krispy Kreme before? Because no. I haven't, and I'm wondering no. if I'm missing out on something. Because yeah. I've had Krispy <laughs> yeah, Kreme donuts, too. but not often, and I've never actually been there. I wonder if this is just their attempt at making like a, I don't know, quote unquote, like touristy kind of shop location yeah. in a big city, you know? But like, yeah, it sounds like they're going to have the mixing of the raw ingredients, the glaze waterfall, which again, they don't explain any further than that. Um, but they plan to showcase the end-to-end donut making process. So you can just okay. see it all, I guess. Um, and they say the location is expected to serve more guests annually than any other Krispy Kreme location around the world. Well, that I believe. Which makes sense because it's in Times Square. And it's huge. And it's giant. And it has donuts literally all day. Okay, so it's going to have fresh donuts 24-7. Yes. You're going to be able to go in there and sit in a Krispy Kreme box. In a big and box. And eat your donut. And eat your donut. There's a glaze waterfall. Mm-hmm. It sounds like... In a, you know, a touristy place. I yeah, don't know. No, I don't know what to say. I, I guess I'm, I guess all I, I brought this here to tell you that I'm planning a New York City trip just to go to this donut, <laughs> this donut store. Because <laughs> it sounds uh, really fun. It does sound fun. Now, I wonder, are there any Krispy Kreme donut stores near us? I feel like I don't, there might be. Like, like I, I feel like I've seen two, one. But I don't know where, but I don't know where it is. Yeah, I'd have to look. Maybe we should look for that and maybe just kind of see what it does a normal Krispy Kreme store actually. Yeah, maybe, what's the experience like? To maybe go there's in one a glazed like, waterfall in all of them. Is it like Dunkin' Donuts, or is it like something special and different? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And also, it's it's just Dunkin' now. You're right. Yeah, you're right. It's just Dunkin'. Yeah. Just <laughs> the people that market for uh Krispy Kreme are going to call us and be like, um, we're unique and we're better than Dunkin' Donuts. So yeah, 
please go back on your show and please state that. This episode um, was not brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts or Krispy Kreme. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who's better. Yeah. I'm not trying to comment on that. I'm yeah. just, I've been inside, I've been physically inside of a Dunkin' Donuts. So I just want to know yeah. if I, I physically to. go to a Krispy Kreme, is there going to be these like lights that are like hot and fresh, hot and fresh or something? I don't know. That's what it sounds like, right? I've only ever had them when somebody else brought them in to work. Me so. too. I cannot say. All right. Putting it on the uh, bucket list. Yep. Going to have to experience a Krispy Kreme. (laughs) Okay. My first story is AI news. And this is from LiveScience.com. Have you ever constructed a mental image of a person you've never seen based solely on their voice? Yes. (laughs) Artificial intelligence can now do that. Generating a digital image of a person's face using only a brief audio clip for reference. Wait. <laughs> what? Yes. I was going to say, I've done this before, but I'm not good at it. Is, is an AI good at it? So it says this later in the article, but basically it is good at it, but it's more of like, it's not, it can't get an individual's face from the audio. It's more like, an average face based off of that person's like age and race and stuff. Okay. So if it detects like an older lady or something, you're going to get like a face of like an older lady, but gotcha. It's not going to be really like the exact person. Right. It's like that. Okay. (laughs) Just to clarify up front. (laughs) uh, The algorithm is named speech to face. Um, Could have put more work into that, probably. (laughs) It was trained trained by scientists on millions of educational videos from the internet that showed over 100,000 different people talking. Hmm. From this data set, speech-to-face learned associations between vocal cues and certain physical features in a human face. Um, The researchers wrote about this in a new study. The AI then used an audio clip to model a photorealistic face matching the voice um, the findings have been published in an online journal, but this article noted that they have not yet been peer-reviewed. So just mm. know that. But um, the AI doesn't yet know exactly what a specific individual looks like based on their voice alone. The neural network recognized certain markers in speech that pointed to gender, age, and ethnicity, uh, features that are shared by many people, uh, according to the study authors. As such, the model will only produce average-looking faces, the scientists wrote. It will not produce images of specific individuals. When they say average-looking faces, it's just like, they will not produce attractive people. (laughs) Just (laughs) very middle of the road. (laughs) The average person, it will not produce supermodels. (laughs) Or Uh, really ugly people. It'll produce like just middle of the road, kind of plain-faced, you know. Yeah. Homely. <laughs> Doesn't homely mean ugly? Oh, ugly? yeah, it might actually. I don't know. Sorry don't know if you're words. sorry if you're homely. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, on a side note, <laughs> this article also had a discussion at the end about. Um, so apparently, the individuals that were used in this study were not asked for consent in order for their faces to be used in this. Like, they just took, like, publicly available Mm. YouTube videos and just fed it into the algorithm. Okay. Um, And it has prompted now a discussion about, like, the ethics of using publicly posted information for this kind of research. Um, I don't know. It seems... I I guess it would have to... 
you'd have to probably dig into YouTube's terms of service, but kind of seems like if you're putting it up there publicly, it's kind of just out there. That's kind of what I feel like too. I, but then at the same time, if you use someone's face in their research, it's like, I can understand how that person might feel like, oh, I wish I would have been asked about this beforehand. Yeah. But at the same time, you posted your face yeah, up it's on out, a public it's platform. It's out there anyway. It could be used for anything. At least these so, people are telling you about it. Yeah, it's an interesting <laughs> interesting uh, question. Yeah. So, huh. I don't know. Ethics. My next story is animal news. This comes from CNET. Dolphins make friends based on shared interests, just like humans. Oh. Though, wow. I feel like the headline's a little misleading because it's a very specific shared interest, but I'll get into that. Hmm. Um, I like how they phrase this. A study involving biologist Simon Allen. Like, like what? Just, yeah, you know, Simon he Allen happened to, happened to be a part of this. Um, at the University of Bristol in the UK, followed the activities of 37 male Indo-Pacific bottlenose dolphins living in Shark Bay in Western Australia. Some of these dolphins used marine sponges as tools to forage for food, which is a learned behavior. This is really weird. I wish they'd gone into more detail in this article. I had to look it up myself. But these dolphins will, like, stick their nose in a marine sponge and then, like, use it to somehow find food on the... Like, they'll use it to dig in, like, the sand and find buried fish. Huh. They didn't really explain how the sponge helps with that (laughs) more than their own nose would. But it does result in a bunch of pictures of dolphins with sponges on their nose, which is pretty funny. Well, aren't sea sponges actually kind of, like, hard consistency? Like, aren't they, like, coral? Like, they're not, like, they're not, like, a sponge you would use to, like, clean dishes, right? Yeah, they're not quite like that, but somehow they impale them on their noses. I don't know. Again, I wish wish they'd gone into more detail, but like they said, it's a learned behavior. Hmm. And of the 37 dolphins studied, 13 were spongers, as they call them, and (laughs) 24 were non-spongers. And just like us humans enjoy hanging out with other people who share our hobbies, the spongers seem to bond over their mutual food hunting technique. Hmm. Male spongers, uh, this is a quote from... Well, they just they attributed it to the University of Bristol, so I guess it's the uh, the university talking. Um, male spongers <laughs> spend more time associating with other male spongers than they do non-spongers. These bonds being based on similar foraging techniques and not relatedness or other factors. So they determined it was not other things. It was specifically that they all like to use these sponges to, to hunt hmm. for food. Um, an earlier study focused on female spongers and found that they also associated with each other more than non-sponge using females. So this is like further evidence that this Hmm. is the case for regardless of dolphin gender. Um, These new insights into male dolphins were unexpected for some reason. Um, Alan says foraging with a sponge is a time consuming and largely solitary activity. So it was long thought incompatible with the needs of male dolphins in shark Bay to invest time in forming close alliances with other males. I guess that's why. Oh, Um, like, I, the unexpected came after they said the female spongers did the same thing. So I was like, well, that seems like it would be expected yeah. <laughs> then. But because, like, I guess the male's behavioral patterns are different, the fact that they're, like, largely solitary, there wouldn't be really any real yeah. reason for them to make male friends. Um, but it turns out they can form bonds that can last for decades, according oh. to the study. So dolphins That's make cool. friends with other dolphins who like to put sponges on their noses. <laughs> 
just got a sponge. Okay, that's a on lot his nose. goofier looking than I even imagined. It's, it's pretty great. It's a big sponge too. Yeah, I was thinking like a little sponge. Nope, it's like a big old sponge, almost as big as their head. Wow. I, again, I don't know how it helps, but it's pretty funny. <laughs> My next story is space news. This is from Wired. Later this month, a small satellite will hitch a ride on SpaceX Falcon Heavy Rocket for the world's first demonstration of green satellite propellant in space. The satellite is fueled by AFM-315, which the Air Force first developed more than 20 years ago as an alternative to the typical satellite juice of choice, hydrazine. Juice? <laughs> the satellite I don't juice? Know. They call it juice. I don't know. If successful, AFM-315 could make satellites vastly more efficient, shrink satellite deployment time from weeks to days, and drastically reduce the safety requirements for storing and handling satellite fuel, a boon to humans and the environment. Hmm. Looking to the future, scientists working on the fuel say it will play a large role in helping to get extraterrestrial satellite operations off the ground. Um, Hydrazine is a volatile fuel... Um, that can, it says, ruin your day and perhaps your life (laughs) if you're exposed to it. It's really dangerous. Okay. Um, To fuel a satellite, you need a lot of safety infrastructure, including pressurized full-body suits just to handle the fuel. So when they're, like, fueling fueling it, they have to, it's really intense. Uh Um, This new fuel, on the other hand, is less toxic than caffeine. Oh. So all you need is a lab coat and a pump. You could just drink the stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Probably shouldn't. Probably shouldn't do that. You could. Don't don't do that. (laughs) But you shouldn't. Um, But you could. This is a quote. We literally sat in a room next to a plastic jug of it when we were fueling the satellite, says Chris McLean, an engineer at Ball Aerospace and the project lead on NASA's green propellant infusion mission. So I'm just picturing a milk cart, like a milk jug filled with like a green liquid. And I know when you say green, you don't mean physically green, but yes. that's all I can picture. Just like <laughs> Hulk juice. They just, they just have these milk jugs and they just pour it into a, a thing <laughs> on the side of the satellite. Um, and that's how they fuel it. Yeah. Yeah. That seems <laughs> wrong, but okay. <laughs> that that was a joke. Just, just be clear. Okay. Um, <laughs> McLean says one of AFM 315's uh, biggest selling points after safety is the fact that it doesn't freeze. Uh, The fuel is apparently a liquid salt, which means that at extremely low temperatures, it undergoes a glass transition instead of freezing. This transforms the fuel into a brittle glass-like solid, but it doesn't cause the fuel to expand like frozen water or hydrazine would. Oh, weird. Yeah. It is kind of weird. Um, this attribute <laughs> prevents fuel lines and storage containers from cracking under stress. Moreover, its glass transition point is extremely low, so the fuel wouldn't need to be heated on the satellite, um, which is a big power suck for you know other situations. Right. Plus, space is pretty cold. So yeah, that, that too probably makes sense. Um, and there's certain like areas or pl- destinations probably that they have to think about that. Mm. Um, McLean says that this will make more power available for other instruments or systems on the satellite, which could open up new possibilities and missions to other planets. Very so, cool. Yeah, so they're they're running this test, and I guess if the test goes well, then in a few years they're probably just going to switch to using this yeah. fuel for everything because it's just That's better. Cool. That's how these so. advancements happen. Yeah. So next thing you know, we're going to be in Neptune. I don't know why I picked I Neptune. <laughs> Neptune's a cool name for a planet. It is a cool I've name. liked it. And it's a cool color. Mm-hmm. 
I want to go to Neptune. Yeah. Actually, I don't really want to. I don't, th- I don't think Space I do either. kind of scares Because also, it, I don't think there's actually any surface there, right? Isn't it a gas giant? Is it? It is. Is it one of the gas giants? It is one of the gas giants, yeah. I think so. So, yeah, I probably don't want to go to Neptune. Yeah, I don't think, yeah. I'd like to see it. Yeah. I'll fly, I'll do a flyby. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> the last story I brought is technology news. This is from The Verge. Uh, Uber says it will start delivering fast food by drone in San Diego this summer. What? This summer. That is now. That is that is now. <laughs> that is <laughs> we are in it. Um, they uh, pointed out that deliveries will not be made to consumers' houses, but instead will be sent to, quote, designated safe landing zones where Uber couriers will unload the package by hand and take it to the customer's doorstep so it doesn't go directly to the person's house. I guess for safety concerns, <laughs> which seems kind of strange. How is this faster than the Uber driver just going to the fast food establishment, getting the food, and bringing it to the person? Well, they they um, they say it's drone. Their dra- drones can make a delivery over a 1.5 mile distance in just under seven minutes, which is much quicker than the 21 okay. minutes it would take a car or a cyclist. So I guess okay. like they're banking on somebody being in the area. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess this is mostly for longer distance things than, like, a quick car ride or something would take. Mm-hmm. Um, they said the landing zones might even, inclu- might even include the roofs of parked Uber cars, which would be identified by a QR code on the car's roof. So Whoa. they would have, like, mobile landing zones, which would also, I think, would probably address what you were talking about, like, because yeah. they could just direct it to the nearest like, like Uber, Uber driver, driver like, that has a landing zone it, on the roof. Have, yeah, have it land on their car. And, okay, and, that definitely would save time. Then, right. yeah. I was just thinking, like, okay, well, they're they're gonna have to drive to some location anyway to get it. Right. Then. Yeah, and this addresses like a lot of concerns with like, what if somebody has a porch, or what if like, where do you put things? And yeah. So, uh, it keeps like the human element in there. Um, Uber has been working with McDonald's as an early partner, designing special delivery packages that keep burgers and fries hot and intact during flights. <laughs> like they specified <laughs> intact because you would have to imagine like it's flying through the air. There's a good chance something's <laughs> going to get a little smushed. Just the bag has just like <laughs> lettuce and like ketchup and fries. And it's just a loose hamburger a, meat, just all like mixed into it's like a, a soup. It's a deconstructed <laughs> burger. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uber also recently showed off new designs for its planned flying taxis, which is apparently something else it's been working on, which they plan to start testing in 2020. So next year. Really? And have a, and they plan to launch commercially as soon as 2023. <gasps> That's flying so close. taxis. No. Yeah, they had and they had an image of it. It looks kind of like a kind of like a helicopter, but it's like a drone kind of thing. Is it like Remember when we looked at those police vehicles that no, had the it's port? not like that. It's not like that. Okay. <laughs> Though who knows? It could be just as loud. Well, I, I can't imagine it wouldn't be because to lift So it wasn't people. like a like a quadcopter. No, they or? they only showed like the actual contain like part that people sit in, and it uh, looked like kind of like a helicopter. Okay. Like cockpit sort of dealio. Okay. But uh, yeah, apparently <sighs> they're they must be pretty I close. I don't know if we're ready for flying taxis. I don't either, but I guess I that's know. what testing is for. <laughs> <laughs> you're not wrong i guess and there's they're only starting in certain locations so i don't think we'll be seeing them in uh in cleveland anytime soon but who knows 
Probably wow. before we die, we'll see uh, flying taxis just going around. Yeah, before we die, for sure. I, I, can, would be, I can believe that. That's pretty cool. It's what that the Jetsons cool. always promised us. Yeah. I guess we're not living All in All the like, futuristic movies, yeah. they promise flying vehicles, so mm-hmm. it's going to happen it's one day. It's about time. I mean, we're 20 time. years after the new century. I mean... Exactly. What, where are we at? I mean... <laughs> no flying cars. That's what I'll tell you. Okay. My third story is animal news. And this is from HuffPost. North Carolina officials want citizens to be aware of zombie snakes. The State Department of Parks and Recreation has posted a photo on its Facebook page of a, quote, zombie snake, a reptile known for defending itself by lying on its back and pretending to be dead. Oh. You ever heard about this? I have. I've heard of that behavior. I didn't know there was a, like, a particular type of snake. Yes. It's called the Eastern Hognose Snake. Hmm. Um, and it's also known as a puff adder, apparently. Okay. Yeah. I've heard that. I think I've heard that term before. Okay. Um, and they can be found as far south as Florida and Texas and as far no- north as Minnesota, according to ABC News. Hmm. And um, the zombie snake is just a nickname for that type of snake. Sure. Um, but despite the scary nickname, officials at North Carolina State Parks and Recreation told CBS News the eastern hognose is, quote, a mostly harmless snake <laughs> that rarely ever bites humans. So mostly harmless is such a nice way to put that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess you don't actually need to be super worried about it, but they just, they put out this announcement. It's so probably more that, that like, it would scare you because you think you see a dead snake, you approach it and it springs back to life. Right. Yeah. Um, so what they do is they, have you seen a video of this ever? I don't think so. It's a, kind of cool. So they like turn their entire body over, curl up and like open their mouth and just like lay there. <laughs> And it's what alive. You, it's like a defense mechanism. Yeah. I wonder if you could train one, like play dead. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> um, here's a picture of it. Oh, it sure no. looks. It sure looks dead. Yeah, it looks really. It's very convincing. convincing. I hadn't, and I didn't know that snakes did that. So, yeah. snakes are snakes are ever, crafty creatures. If I ever see a snake that looks like that picture, then. Mm-hmm. Uh, Probably don't I won't pick trust it up. It. <laughs> probably don't pick it up though. Yeah. I mean, I probably won't pick up a dead, a real dead snake anyway. Right, but definitely don't pick up these. Right. Because they might not be dead. Right. And then it could bite you. Yes. Which they can't if they're dead. Which these might not be. All right, it's time for breaking news. The part of the show where Anthony and I look up stories that just happened today or were just posted today, and we read them to you on the fly. Puff adder. Ready, set, go! Go. The story I found. uh, Alligator bites police car during anything but routine traffic stop. Alligator bites police car? Yeah, it bit the car. Oh. This happened in uh, Caddo Parish, Louisiana, uh, sheriff's deputies were called after the eight-foot gator was spotted in the middle of a local highway. Uh, they called wildlife experts to remove the animal for the road, but while they were waiting, the gator, <laughs> the gator came and just took a bite out of the front of the car. <laughs> <laughs> you can see here where it, like, it actually did some <gasps> decent damage to the front bumper, Whoa. like the front, uh, the front they, like, quarter panel. The, uh, panel off. Yeah. <laughs> It like wow. actually ripped a little bit of the car off. 
Wow. <laughs> the gator apparently has not been captured since. I so. have never heard of a gator. Attacking a car? Yeah, attacking yeah, a car like that. I haven't either. Wow. That is bizarre. Seems like pretty unusual behavior. Yeah. Huh. I guess I mean, the cops were there and it, it fought back. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Um, the story I found is also animal related. Nice. Animal themed. Breaking news. Woot. Uh, this is on Fox News. And the headline is Missouri woman returns from vacation to find python in kitchen pantry. A lot of reptiles this episode. It's a reptile, yeah. reptile heavy episode. Um, this woman uh, lives in a town around 20 miles east of St. Louis. Um, came back from vacation and there was a, a python in her apartment. That's where not. That's not where that goes. Um, and they did. They don't know how it got there. No one in the apartment <laughs> complex reported a missing pet snake. Like they think it was someone's pet that got loose, but no one reported a missing snake. Of course, snake. they didn't report it. Nobody wants to be like, "Well, it's my uh, python." Yeah. Actually, <laughs> actually, <laughs> that's, don't know actually, that's my python. Um, I mean, if you owned a python, wouldn't you like want it back? I don't know. I'm not, well, were you allowed to have it? Good question. <laughs> I don't know. See, that's that's where my mind was. Like, well, somebody <laughs> lost a python, and they weren't supposed <laughs> to have a python. <laughs> You're probably right. Um, but yeah, nothing bad happened. I mean, she just, she uh, called in animal control and they took it. Yeah. Like, they don't know how it got there. <laughs> she just like came back and was like, oh, there's a giant snake in my house. Okay. There's a snake in my pantry. <laughs> That's so good. You know, the famous line from Toy Story. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the line. Um... Yeah, but, you know, sometimes there's snakes. Can, snakes can be in your walls. Sometimes and... there's snakes. <laughs> I think that pretty much sums it up, right? Yeah, that sums it up. Sometimes there's snakes. Sometimes yeah. they're alive. Sometimes they're actually dead. Sometimes they're plain dead. Some, yeah. Sometimes you just they're gotta somewhere in between. You just gotta be wary. just gotta keep an eye out yeah. for all situations. They're everywhere. Yep. All right. That's our show. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, we release episodes every Friday. And as always, the links to this week's stories will be in the episode description. You can subscribe to Knickknack News on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever other app you'd like to use. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash knickknacknews and on Twitter at, at knickknacknews. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.